Welcome to the Values Exchange Podcast. I'm Mike Cruz, your host, private pilot, author of Saturday Every Day, and CEO of North Texas Wealth Management, a firm dedicated to values-based financial planning. This podcast uncovers the values and habits of highly successful people and dives into how it has shaped their success and what you can learn from their personal stories. Thanks for tuning in again for the Value Exchange podcast. Uh, we have a great guest today. Tom Perkowski is with us uh, from the Executive MBA program, Assistant Dean at SMU um, Cox School of Business. And, you know, I had the privilege of attending and getting my MBA there. And my initial interview was with Tom. And he said, why in the world does a certified financial planner want an MBA? And uh, so I just remember him uh, giving me a lot of questions. And here's my turn to, to question Tom. But a great background, entrepreneur, uh, you know, um, a professor, an assistant dean for 20 years of the executive MBA program where you know, it was ranked um, top in the world and now in retirement as an executive coach. So Tom, thanks for, thanks for being here uh, on the Value Exchange Podcast. You're welcome, Mike. And uh, I look forward to this and clearly it's, it's really uh, satisfying for me to be able to see what your progress since it's almost 11 years, I think, since I interviewed you and what you've done in your career. And just that I'm a little piece of that, I'm, I feel very good. Yeah, well, thanks, thanks for being here. So all about executive coaching today. So, um, you know, each value wanted to focus on uh, executive coaching. And of course, you know, that's what you're doing now. But kind of before we dive in, I think, you know, all these, uh, you know, MBA students, if you were talking to your grandkids and kind of telling them about your legacy, like before you were a part of the MBA program, give me a little bit of history. Like, where'd you grow up? How'd you get there? Okay, good. And um, if you, when when you look at my LinkedIn profile, the first uh, sort of exclamation is, I like to help people. And in general, when I look back at my career, and as you get older, it's easier for you to look back. You look for some common themes, and the common themes was that I really like to help people because people helped me when I was growing up and so forth. But now, when you think about things like executive coaching. Um, it's, it's a little different from the standpoint of what, is it, what does it mean? But when I look back at my career, particularly the 20 years with the executive MBA program, I feel like that's what I was doing all along. Yes, I was recruiting and making sure that they showed up for class and their grades were what they needed to be. But in a sense, they were all at high levels within their companies and so forth, in their organizations. But what I was helping them do is to ask them questions. Is this what you were looking for? Is this enough? What about your timelines? Are you there? Because I wanted to make sure that they got a good ROI on their education. But even when I look back at my, uh, my corporate career, where I was the most successful, I feel, and by successful, I was helping people, was in training and development. So we did an internal university at Pearl Vision, which is where I spent 15 years, moved to Dallas to actually start an internal university. And again, going back to why did I like that? Because I was helping people. Um, and then I bought a franchise um, and, and ran that for four years in Plano. But that's a good example of where, where maybe coaching would have helped because I don't think that worked out all that well. And if I would have had someone say, well, Tom, what do you really like to do? Help people. 
okay, so then I th we think you should buy a franchise. <laughs> Wait a minute, that doesn't seem to be as consistent. So uh, it worked out well, and my connections brought me to, to SMU. But I think from a coaching perspective, um, I think the role of an executive coach is to ask the right questions and then keep quiet and allow people to elaborate on what it is they're good at, what they like to do, and, and move forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, you know, executive coaching, I think, has kind of been a more recent term. So can you tell me a little bit about, like, where you think that came from? Yeah. What's the history of executive coaching? Yeah, and I, I thought about that. Okay. I thought about that, that question you were going to ask, and... I think it's a relatively recent phenomenon. So when I was growing up and so forth, um, when you said coach, it was sports. But when you think about what the role of a coach is in sports, is he or she is not necessarily, wasn't necessarily the best athlete, but they were the best at counseling, asking questions, looking at how they were performing, and then saying, what do you think? you think we should work on this? And I can help you from that standpoint. And executive coaching, I think, you know, it was in the 90s mostly, but then really by the 2000s, it really, you know, it, it really flourished. And even the term itself is a little bit confusing because when you say executive coach, does that mean if I'm a manager or I'm a director or I'm not considered on the leadership team, does that mean I don't get executive coaching? So I think, in a sense, when people say they're an executive coach, it might be better to almost use, I'm a professional coach, and I can work with the highest levels of an organization, or I can look at mid-level, um, et cetera. So it sort of depends. And again, when, you, when you're going out looking for a coach, those are the types of questions that you want to ask because it's not a one-size-fits-all. So coaching is relatively, relatively new, mm -hmm. 20 years, but I think it, it stems from in the old days when you worked for a, a company, you didn't have a coach, but you had a, like a mentor. So like you hired me. So you'd say, Tom, you just stick with me. And if you do everything I do because I'm successful, mm -hmm. then you can be just like me. So I said, okay, great, Mike. I think I'll, I think I'd like to do that. And then, you know, 1990s, 2000s, people now started to migrate from company to company. The loyalty wasn't as strong. Executives, you know, moved, et cetera, et cetera. So now, you know, and was HR going to help you with your career? In many cases, their role changed also. So the idea would be what took its place? Well, people who were good at asking questions, determining, you know, what might be a good fit for you and so forth. So this whole executive coaching concept came about and it's obviously it's flourished because, mm -hmm. uh, because of you know, good people are, are in the field. Mm -hmm. So, so give me a little bit more background. Um, so you went to Penn state and, uh, what'd you major in there? Uh, something that was very popular and something that really helped me in my career, political science. Okay. <laughs> so, so there are a lot of political science majors out there running around my age, um, probably executive coaches okay. um, and sociology majors, things like that. But when I look back, political science was really a, an opportunity to get a, a, uh, a, an education where I could do a number of things with it. Yeah, you could either teach with it or you could be a researcher. But in many cases, when I was graduating, you had to have a degree 
Degrees were the entry point to a lot of positions. And I just happened to find a position that was growing, knowing that as the company grew, I could sort of look around and say, I think I'd like this area or this area from that standpoint. And that seemed to have worked out. Okay. And then, and then you went back to school, so Dab Dallas Baptist University, to focus on organizational management. Um, what was that program like now that you know what the, uh, the EMBA or Executive MBA looks like right. at SMU? How, how is it different? Yeah. So in a sense, um, I got to SMU, and in order to teach, and in order to even be eligible for the role of, of assistant dean, you needed to have a master's degree. Okay. So the motivation was go get a master's degree and so forth. Then you could be in the mix. And that's exactly what helped happen there. But in a sense, it was a step up from an educational standpoint, because now I knew what I wanted mm -hmm. and getting a degree in management helped me yeah. both in my role for 20 years at SMU teaching and also in my role now as an executive coach. Yeah. So and. And just to look at the scale uh, at SMU, typically somewhere around 100 students per year for 20 years. Yeah. It's a huge network. It's amazing. So um, now that you've retired and you're you know, focusing on executive coaching, is that primarily where you're that network? Are you using that network to, to find people to coach? Yeah. So the math is 2000. So literally between interviewing and then working with students, coaching them for tw for 21 months, that's significant because there are a lot of programs where you're either in um, rec the recruiting phase or you might be in the student services. Mm -hmm. Our program, we were fortunate enough to where we all of us did everything. So I would say, hey, Mike, we think the executive MBA program at Cox would be good for you. And then we would interview, we'd go through your goal sheets, et cetera, et cetera. And then we would be with you for 21 months. And that's where the coaching came in. So at any time on a Friday or Saturday, you could and did mm -hmm. reach out to me saying, hey, Tom, I really like this. Or, hey, Tom, I think I was, uh, I need to do this. Can you have some ideas on electives or things like that? I do. Let me ask you a couple of questions first. So I felt like that 20 years of experience, that was executive coaching. Maybe we didn't call it that, but that's exactly what it was. Right. Oh, that's that's great. So <clears throat> the role of the executive coach, we kind of looked at asking the right questions. Can you give me an example? Like, what are those questions? Yeah. And, and I think that's one of the biggest misnomers. And I, and I think that People, sometimes clients, for example, they get a little frustrated sometimes when they work with a coach maybe for the first time because they may, may not know the, the, the true role of an, exec, an executive coach. And the role of a coach is to ask questions. And a lot of times people would say, well, wait a minute, you're asking me a lot of questions. Where's the, where's the remedies? <laughs> you say, well, you've got the remedy. So if, if um. If you're, in the, if you're playing pro ball, if you're a professional basketball player, you know, you have the talent. Now it's a question of what help do you need in order to take the next step? And that really is the role of the coach would be to say, well, how do we get you to shoot foul, uh, free throws a little better? Or it seems like you lose that first step and the person knows what to do. It's just a question of um, do we put together, how do we put together a plan on helping you to get there? But I think the answer to your question, the, the biggest struggle is that people think that a coach is, well, if I were you, here's what I would do. 
or my advice to you, it really, that, those words really should not come out. It should be more like, in, uh, in my experience, here's some things that I would uh, uh, maybe put you in, in uh, there's some people that I might put you in touch with, or here, an MBA program might be something you look at you should look into, or maybe just an associate degree is what you want, or go to Harvard for a month and get some, you know, training and strategy and things like that. So, so but to answer your question about what, some, what are some of the questions, tell me about what you'd like to be. So give me the short-term, long-term goals, and then listen, and then ask more questions. Well, what do you consider short-term mm -hmm. or long-term, and how difficult will it be in order for you to accomplish that? What kind of timeline are you thinking about? What additional resources do you need in order to accomplish that? And what would be the biggest challenges in order to do that? Well, I'm Dallas-based, I really can't move, or I've got a growing family. So you have people start thinking about what it is as part of their plan and so forth. And that's really the, what a coach, particularly in the first meeting, that's what they should do. Yeah, so the guest on my first podcast was James Willis, and he was, you know, talking to me about how he's worked with an executive coach, and he introduced me to him, and I had a brief conversation with him, and one of the things that I brought up was uh, this particular executive coach said, you know, he goes, Mike, people really know the answer, kind of like what you're saying. He goes, I'm just their permission slip. <laughs> you know, like, why don't you go do that? And he just gives him a big shove and kind of that confidence of like, yeah, go do that. Are you? Do you find that that's true? Um, that the, most of the time they just need permission, or is it really that you need to question kind of that thread of thought and say, you know, repeat it back to them where they go, oh, is that really what I'm thinking? Yeah, and again, it goes back to that uh, relationship, and it goes back to a person who's looking at hiring or engaging an executive uh, executive coach. It's everyone should do an interview and say, well, what are your thoughts? What are, what's your philosophy on executive coaching? Because a lot of times people get even get the terms confused, uh, coaching versus mentoring. And a lot of times I've, I've seen people come away from mentoring experiences and they say, well, Tom told me that if I were, you know, if, if, if this is what you might want to think about doing, because that's what I did. Or if you follow my career and, I don't think that works anymore because you have different goals, different educational backgrounds and, and things like that. So it, the interview process of finding the right fit, the alignment with what you're looking for, um, and that's what I would ask you. So I'd say, well, Mike, what can I do for you? Mm -hmm. Okay, um, and uh, how, can, how can I help you? Because some of it may be a little bit confidence building, sort of like the permission slip from that standpoint. Say, so why don't you do that? Um, what, what's holding you back? And that's what I'm saying. Maybe the person doesn't realize what the challenges are or the resources that they need, et cetera. You say, well, why? <laughs> what's stopping you? What, why don't you go out and do that? And then just keep quiet. And again, that's the a good coach is a good listener. Kind of help sort out their own thoughts. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. And it may not be in the, like the first session. That's why people would say, oh, you're just, you know, how many sessions will this take? I don't know. What's the goal and how do we measure? And that's part of the whole process of, of getting a coach would be, how are we going to measure how mm -hmm. successful this relationship is? 
after so many sessions? Do we know? Because if someone says, well, based on our interview, I think this will take eight sessions. <laughs> what? How does someone, how does someone know that? Right. So. Right. Yeah. So you, you kind of have to just kind of dive in and then go, we're going to keep working until you get what you want. And if you have the right interview and you think like you have the right person, mm -hmm. then you're not concerned about someone saying, well, I think it's going to be about 12 sessions, you know, mm -hmm. and then people, I, I would, I wouldn't, I'm not sure I, I, I trust someone who said right at the best 12 sessions right. and so okay. forth. So we're going to meet whether we need to or not. <laughs> so, um, what is that average length of time when you start working with an executive coach? Is there like you get through it in three months and sometimes it takes two years or what would somebody expect if they hired yeah. an executive coach? Again, depending on what the what the goals are and so forth, and then the measurement part of it. So if you were if you said that what what I don't seem to be very good at is hiring the right people. My the teams, the people on my teams, somehow that's not working out really mm -hmm. well. I think I need need to do a better job, particularly with our C level people, of interviewing. Okay, so what do what do we need to do? If the coach, if that happens to be part of their um, their skill set, then they can work with them or they find a resource in order for that to happen. Now, um, will the person be doing some interviewing over the next couple of months? Well, you can determine in many cases um, whether that was that was a valuable the skills and the plan if they hired some people and they hung around. But I don't you don't necessarily have to be meeting all that time and say, let's give this a six month period. You've got three people to hire on your management team. After three months or six months, let's do a little, you know, let's let's have another chat and so forth and see how the how that's how that's going. So there could be little hiatuses between those sessions and so forth. So it's more like it's evolving. And I think every meeting, every second meeting is an incorporation. Right. We're going to meet Monday at 10 o'clock, regardless of whether we need right. to or not. Say, so, no, do we need to meet this week? Yeah. No, we don't. Okay, great. Then in two weeks, we'll have more to, more to discuss and so forth. So it's fluid. fluid. Probably the best okay. Way. Yeah. No, that makes sense. So um, you had mentioned this uh, LPI program. Tell me, what does it stand for? What is it? Yeah. So it's a leadership practices inventory. And um, the authors have uh, been around for like 40, 40 years and so forth. And they've done a lot of research and they, they, they teach it to some of the, the best schools. But, but I think assessments in general, LPI being one of them, I think it's necessary because I've worked with some clients where they would say, well, you know what, you need to work with Mike because he's pretty offensive. And, you know, people seem to, you know, shy away from his management style and so forth. Say, okay, so, um, Mike, you feel that way? Not really. And yeah. who, who would say that, et cetera, et cetera. So the idea of having a 360-degree assessment where you go out and you do a self-assessment of what you feel your strengths are as a, as a manager or the frequency so if you feel like you always are motivating or always inspirational, then you rank yourself with different questions. But then you ask like your manager to do the same thing. Okay. And then you ask maybe some of your, well, you ask your direct reports and it's anonymous mm -hmm. um, and so forth. And then you would ask some people that maybe you work with like coworkers, then you get a report. 
and you see how you evaluated yourself on those leadership practices or, or behaviors. How did your manager um, feel about that? And there's a, was there a gap, uh, a significant gap? Why is that, et cetera, et cetera? What about the people that report to you? And again, it'll be anonymous. So if you find that everyone seems to be consistent with your, your assessment, except for one, then you wouldn't know who that was, but you'd say, well, who, who, you know, who do you think in, in general may have said those things about you because you struggle maybe with one person or another? So the idea would be to have something to work on. So mm -hmm. if you just said that people find you offensive, so what does that mean? Um, from that standpoint, if does everyone feel that way? Well, they'd put it in the assessment because then they could also put some comments in there okay. and so forth. But then you also want to, you want to find that maybe you're good with your manager, not so good with your direct reports, and then people who work with you or coworkers, um, it's all over the board and so forth. So that would say, okay, so what are we going to work on, Mike? Um, what, what should we tackle first? So that provides mm -hmm. a... Um, some ammunition for putting together a plan. And then you can do like a reassessment after six months. You could do something internally. You then ask people, what should, what, well, you would, you would ask prior, during the, during the assessment, you would ask, what should Mike start doing? What should Mike stop doing? And then by the time you um, have completed and maybe you have a business plan, you ask the same question again. Has Mike made progress, et cetera? And again, it's, it would be anonymous, but they would say, How, is your score improving? Did everyone quit right. <laughs> as a result right. of that? So clearly that wasn't the right plan. But mm -hmm. I think you have to have mm -hmm. some form of measurement up front, and then you measure it at a period. So you can see the you, progress. Absolutely. Well, I think that's valuable because there's kind of no reality, only perception, right? And so you may perceive yourself as, oh, I'm a great boss. Everybody uh, you know, is super motivated. And then you do assessment like that and maybe there's a disconnect and you can address it whereas if you're just ignorant of it ultimately the business may fail right i mean you may be driving things to the ground not even aware of it yeah and, and the thing is but people would have to be open to this because mm -hmm. clearly some people like some people um don't like the idea that they're being evaluated so i think the whole point when you would when you would work in an organization where you would use an assessment like this You'd have to make it make sure up front that they know it's clearly anonymous, but that it's part of the leadership development plan, which mm -hmm. includes everyone, okay. because now everyone would do the would do the the, uh, the instrument, and then you might say, "Hey, Tom, it looks like uh, it looks like in these leadership behaviors, you both see yourself uh, pretty high, but then others, um, both people that work with you, they also see you as a potential leader." Have you ever thought about that? We've got a leadership development plan and we can okay. probably put you in that. We still look at a timeline. So they can't, the, the people that are filling out the, 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 the instrument for your mm -hmm. sake, for example, they can't seem feel like they're outside. They have to be part of the plan or part of the improvement or development plan. What's in it for me? Yeah, so you get that perspective and you can take that and, and run with it. So yeah. well, that's great. Can you, um, you know, I know there's confidentiality with, with coaching, but can you think of a uh, kind of a success story where you've worked with somebody and it was a successful outcome? What does that look like? Yeah, so I'm working with, a, with an organization right now where the entire sort of IT department, um, actually the, the person who is the, uh, the CEO of this company 
happens to be a graduate of the executive MBA program okay. and so forth. And uh, he brought me in and he asked me to, to work with some work with some of his people in the IT department and so forth. So this is prior to the LPI instrument. Okay. And this is why this is a learning for me. And that's why I wanted to make sure that I had an instrument, an assessment that I could use moving forward. But a lot of times when I was working with some of the staff, it was, well, tell me how I can help you. They really weren't sure how they could, because they really didn't know, you know, other than what somebody said about them, um, how, they, how they could help. And sometimes people look at coaching as, what did I do wrong? <laughs> well, is it only me that's getting coaching? <laughs> right. Am I going to get fired here? Sure. And the answer is, again, it's like, how do you present it? Mm-hmm. And so forth. So you have to present it in a positive way. It's part of the leadership development program. And once we got over that and so forth, um, it was better. And now, by the way, now that I have this uh, instrument and I've been certified in, uh, in this, we are now, I'm going, now going back with that company because the my relationship continued, I'm now going to have every one of those um, participants complete the assessment. So now we'll go back and what did we accomplish? Oh, we got this right. Here's some new things that came up. How are we going to deal with that? I think it's going to be a lot more effective and we're going to be able to measure it um, because doing internal assessments and things like that may not be, may not work all that well. But if you have something formal, um, it'll be, it'll be better. Oh, sounds fun. And you know, Mike, one thing I wanted to share with you, um, actually I knew you were going to ask that question, and and that is, so of the 2,000 people that we talked about that went through the executive MBA Mm -hmm. program, and clearly, you know, I have to say this, and I've told you this before, like you were probably one of the most prepared people to ever do the program. And I remember having, meeting meeting you, and I know this is not supposed to be, you know, all hail to Mike here, but (laughs) Mike... Mike came, you came to the session, my first session, and said, he had a PowerPoint. You had a PowerPoint presentation. Remember that? These are my goals. These are things that I want to accomplish. So in a sense, somebody might say, well, he doesn't need coaching. But I think you did. Maybe not as much. But again, a check-in. Hey, Mike, how's the program going? Um, it looks like, how's that, you know, how's that accounting class going? How's that strategy class going? Mm-hmm. How you're, by the way, let's revisit those goals. How's it, how's it going? Um, et cetera. So I, I look at 20 years of that. Some people obviously need more than others, but it was a coaching session. What was the measurement? Grades, promotions, gra- graduation. All those things were measurements as to how people they had goals, they were paying for them. Now it's a question of did they um, achieve them? And it's really great now after leaving the program and 20 years to be able to talk to people like you and others and see how successful they've been. Well, that means a lot. I appreciate that because I got to tell you, it was an interesting um, experience going through the program in that, you know, I, I was a certified financial planner. I was kind of in the thick of you know business and I thought I was really, really prepared. It was so humbling being in the program. I realized that, you know, I was in there with the chess champion in India, <laughs> mechanical engineers, and there was like zero math that these guys couldn't just ace. Right. And um, I, I looked around and I went, man, I am out of my league. And so that was that was my uh, perspective of it. It was a super humbling experience. Yeah. Very, very bright, smart people. And uh, I was like, what am, what am I doing here? You know, and maybe that question of like, why does a financial planner want to be in this MBA program was a really good question from the beginning. Um, and I had to look back at like, why did I want an MBA and remind myself like why I'm here and what I wanted to get out of it. 
And networking connections was a big part of that um, because I was in a small business and I felt like I wasn't in the community. And so, you know, really this podcast is kind of the continuation of that. But uh, I appreciate that because yeah. it didn't feel that way. <laughs> and and, I, and I, would, I would respond to that, too, is that you don't want to be this, in an MBA program in particular, an executive MBA program. You don't want to be the smartest guy, person in the room. Because, if you, because well, <laughs> one of the things is you don't want to be, because that the idea would be, well, tell me about some of your classmates, yeah. chess champion, this person is running this, et cetera, et cetera. You want that because in a sense, everyone should have in their career like a board of directors. And I think I've shared this with you before, where maybe one of the board members could be an executive coach. But then there are also some people that may know you from your church. They know you from another aspect of your life where you're about to make a career decision or a business decision and you call a board meeting or you do it individually and you talk to your coach about, I'm about ready to buy this franchise. Do you think that's a good idea for me? Well, Tom, let me ask you a couple of questions. Then you go to someone who may have been a franchise owner before and, and, and you talk to them, but you have a board meeting and you should always bounce, be able to bounce things off people. You don't want them to give you the answer. And when they say, well, I did it this way, that's great. Thank you for your, your response. Yeah. So, so you want people to ask you more questions about, is that important? Does it fit into you know the, your career things, your, your value things? Does it, mm -hmm. does it fit in? And if it doesn't, then maybe you shouldn't do it. But right. it's still your decision. Right. How often does that all lead back to the psychology of things? Like, okay, at the end of the day, time out. Yes, you could go down this whole path, but what makes you happy? And what do you want out of life? Does it... Does it go down the path of psychology or do you try to steer clear of that? No, I, I think the idea of, and, and part of uh, being an executive coach is you clearly have to be some a little bit of a psychologist from the standpoint of, you have to know something about psychology and what, mo what motivates people. Because I mean, again, the idea of saying, well, you should do this and, or everyone should do this or assuming everyone is motivated by this, it's obviously incorrect. So that's why the questions. So what makes you happy? What you know? What uh, wakes you up in the morning? What do you want to do? Mm -hmm. And I can do the same thing with myself and say, but well, looking back at a forty-year career, what are the things? When were you the most happy? When did you feel like you were the most productive, um, et cetera? And that helps me now in my retirement and also in some of my the work that I do as a volunteer. And so forth. So it's still, I'm actually helping eighth grade students mm -hmm. prepare for interviews for high school. Uh, and, I'm oh. a, I'm an, and I'm a mentor. So I'm a coach even with, you know, with, with kids, you know, that are 14, 15 years old. But it goes back to what are the themes, or the values in your life, helping people get better yeah. uh, and achieve their goals. And really, it's, it's really come back. And I've gotten, it's, been, it's reciprocal. So people yeah. continue to help me, like you, bringing me in to, uh, you know, do this podcast. So. Yeah, that's great. No, that's neat. So advice for somebody looking to find a coach. I don't know much about the executive coaching industry or their organizations. If I wanted to go out there and, you know, for example, you want to find a financial planner, you can go look for a certified financial planner and go to the organization's website and find a financial planner. Is it similar in the executive coaching or is it a little bit more like, you know, elbow the person next to you and say, hey, do you know any good executive coaches? How is it, how is it done? Yeah. And, and it actually relates back to what I'm doing with SMU as a career coach. So most, many people 
when they're looking for a job, they do it when they don't have one. Okay. So the ideal would be you want to network and you want to meet as many people as possible and you make deposits with them. Because at some point, maybe in your life, you, you'll you ask for um, a, a withdrawal. So if you were looking for a position, you, I wouldn't reach out to you saying, hey, do you know of any jobs? I would ask you that, you know, one of my, one of the options in my career would be to be a financial planner. I just like the idea. It sort of fits into what, what I'm good at, what I like to do. Can you share a little, some insights with me uh, as to it, or, or some advice that you might give? And you would give me, you wouldn't say, well, you know, here's what you should do, uh, you know, be like me, et cetera, et cetera. So it's more like, um, to go back to your, to your question, it would be, if I'm looking for a career coach, if I'm looking for an executive coach, I'm looking for a financial planner, mm-hmm. I found one because you were in the program. <laughs> And actually, um, I also have some investments with another person who happens to be a graduate of the executive MBA program. If I would be looking, I'm not so sure that uh, I'd probably do the Google, the Google thing. Right. But to find a good coach is asking people, asking maybe people who have had executive coaches and ask for the pros and the cons. Ask if you were going to do it over again. What, what would you do? And then ask like five people at maybe various levels within their career, maybe. And some people say that, well, if you want to be an executive coach, then what does that mean? Does that mean that you have to be at a CEO level? You know, does your company have to be doing $5 billion in sales? I don't know. So you ask a number of people mm-hmm. um, at certain levels, or do they use a coach, not necessarily an executive coach? And what's the value that they, that they bring? And then put together sort of like you're in your case, put together a plan. You put the you put the uh, the, the asset column and, and the the, the uh, liability side and look at it and sort of make make a decision. But if you narrow it down, mm-hmm. now you have to do some interviews and so forth, and then ask around, ask for some of their names of their clients. It's it's more like that because you can go to Google right now and put in executive coach, and obviously it's amazing. Okay. Where they say, if you're looking to increase your business by 20%, yeah. click here. How do you know if you can believe it, <laughs> Absolutely. right? Yeah. Absolutely. So. You know, let's talk a little bit about um, just kind of big picture. And, and that was really my takeaway from the MBA program was, I like to look at the big picture, but my teammates, we, we all did kind of this assessment of each other and they said, you know, digging really into the details and that execution and something very technical, being able to also, you know, go big picture, but then get very minute. That was something I needed to work on. And, you know, so when we look at the, but the big picture of the industry, kind of the executive coaching industry, I think it's being, you know, obviously um, developing pretty quickly and technology is a big component of that. So I just wanted to kind of get your take on where is it headed? Where's it headed mm-hmm. in the future? How is technology going to play a role? And I, be, I clearly believe that the um, the the increase of of using Zoom really, I think, is a plus for executive coaching hmm. because of, I mean, just if you take Dallas Fort Worth market, if if I, we were going to set up a, a coaching agreement and we decided, well, where where are we going to meet? Well, okay, you want to find someplace in between. When are we going to do it? Um, is it good for us to spend an hour traveling somewhere to meet, or I'm going to come to your office? Do we need to do that? 
given the fact that what we're really going to do is I'm going to ask you questions and you're going to give me responses. Then we're going to put together a development plan, et cetera. That can all be done with Zoom or some form of Teams, some form of technology. And in a sense, if, if I'm your coach and I have to drive an hour to your office and an hour back, I have to make sure that someone pays for the $3 a gallon <laughs> gas. So, you know, I hate to sort of narrow it down to that, but in a sense, you say, well, yeah. why, do, why should we do that? I can actually maybe not charge you as much because I don't, we don't have to travel from that standpoint. And I'm doing something for a, another organization, another executive MBA graduate coming up. And they want me to come to their office and sort of paint the big picture as to why they're going to be doing this assessment, et cetera. That makes sense. But then once they do the individual profile, the actual analysis and the feedback that I would give them, um, that will all be done by way of, of Zoom. So I think it's a combination of both. But I think your client base now is not limited to Dallas Fort Worth. Right. You could be working right. with people all over the country. So the vir world. virtual executive. Coaching. Absolutely. Absolutely. Really, it's, I think it's more efficient for busy Absolutely. executives and business and uh, makes sense. Let's, let's hop on for 15 minutes. Let's hop on for a quick yeah. uh, quick Zoom call. Get something coming up, et cetera, et cetera. That's the way it should work. Mm -hmm. So how would a person know when they need an executive coach? So good question. And um, there's a number of ways that organizations handle this. One is if, if, a, if the executive or the decision maker in a company, if he or she decides that coaching is what's needed within the organization, he or she can actually bring someone in as a coach and they can work with uh, their leadership team, for example, and work with all of them. So it would be, you know, it would be driven by the, by the executive or individuals can reach out for an executive coach. And of course, the question is, well, how do I need, how do I know if I need one or yeah. when? Well, you look at your career and look at what you're doing, what you would like to do, and are you being recognized within the organization for positions that, that come available? Um, or have you, what about your performance reviews and so forth? Is there a development plan as part of your, um, it's part of your success success planning. Um, what do you what do you do? Well, if you don't have a strong human resource department, and re human resource departments don't usually have a lot of training and development these days. They've been sort of cut back. So now you say, well, where do I reach out? I think what I need to do is reach out and see. I need some coaching and so forth. And I think a, a coach that you would actually reach out to can be good because they look at the perspective. It's outside your company. So they'd say, well, okay, so have you been offered these opportunities? You feel like you're, um, that you deserve, have you been offered them within your organization? No? Okay, well then, have you let people know that you'd like to be and what's needed? And if the answer is no to those questions and it continues, that's where a coach would say, have you looked elsewhere? Yeah. Um, or how, how big is your network? What can you do? And they can help you from that perspective. Yeah, so there's a pain point. And sometimes it's just giving them the courage to either ask for the raise or pursue the next position. Um, what do they really want? And then there's there's that hurdle of why can they not get there? And I really do think that sort of to finish this off, I really do think that a person um, in general should have, a, again, go back to the board of directors, mm -hmm. have maybe a, a coach that they use because internal coaches, again, have the, have the company 
their interest, you know, mm-hmm. is, is a foremost and so forth. So I think you need a different perspective um, and so forth. So I think maybe you have a, a couple of coaches, one so, that's paid by the company and one that you may have to employ uh, on your own. So this board of directors, how important is it that it's formalized or is it just, hey, I got four buddies that I call when I'm facing a, you know, an obstacle? It's the latter. It's the four buddies. Um, just make sure that the buddies sort of know you from a different perspective. Maybe they know you a little bit longer. Maybe somebody you met in the executive MBA program. Maybe it's a person who runs another wealth management company, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. And you sort of not giving away secrets, but you're bouncing things off. That's yeah. that's the the key. I want to bounce a couple of things off from you. What what are your thoughts? Not your not even necessarily your advice. What are your thoughts? Uh-huh. Insights. What am I not thinking of? Absolutely. Right. Right. What questions am I not asking? That's great. Yeah. Very helpful. All right. And so for those that are saying, okay, well, that is a good fit and I need executive coaching. Um, you know, how much does it cost? I mean, is it super expensive? What can I expect there? It's super expensive. Okay. <laughs> no. So like anything in, in life, particularly with professionals and so forth, I mean, lawyers fees, you know, different, different ranges, but the, the number can be, anywhere between say $150 to $650 per hour. Now that's individual and that sort of, you can Google that and that's what you'll see. But I think in general, what you want to determine is what it is, what it is, what are your objectives? Mm -hmm. And then does this person have the expertise or the experience in order to help you? So if you're talking about getting executive coaching for the, the CEO, et cetera, then clearly you're gonna you're gonna reach out to coaches that have that experience. Maybe maybe they've done it before. They, re, they maybe that's their specialty. You're gonna pay more per hour. Sure. Whereas if you're looking at working at the VP level or director level and so forth, now you probably pay a little less because either that's what that's what coaches want. That's what they want. Those are the types of people they want to work with at that level um, mm-hmm. and so forth. So it does vary, varies on whether we're going to do individual coaching or whether you're going to bring someone in and have them do like a session for your entire organization or your entire leadership team. And then clearly, you know, paying for things like um, like the assessment, that would be different too, based on the assessment. Okay. So you kind of start with that initial conversation, what's the need, and then talk about compensation because it really is tailored to to each situation. It is, and again, some of the plan might be individual, one-on-one. Some of it might be you come in and do something with the organization, et cetera. So again, those hourly rates would then um, uh, vary. Makes sense. All right, thanks, Tom. Okay, you're welcome. All right, so Tom, uh, kind of my last question here, I was looking at um, you know the value exchange. We always wanna circle back with the big question, which is how does executive coaching shape success? And kind of your experience with that. So uh, an example that I can give you would be that um, an organization would determine that some help is needed within their organization. And they don't necessarily want to do the formal route of an MBA program or that type of thing. And they may not have resources, particularly human resources, that can help from a training and, and that perspective. So the idea would be going out and interviewing coaches that could come into their organization and do an analysis on well, what it is, what are you trying to uh, uh, improve here? Um, is it uh, retention? Is it uh, is it profitability? Is it uh, people are, are leaving, et cetera? 
or for some reason, personalities are clashing. So once you determine why you want to coach, now go out and interview them and find out, is there, you need someone who has an expertise in each one of those? Can you get sort of a general manager type executive coach mm-hmm. who's, been, who's been around, has a number of clients, and they can give you some of the examples of where they were successful, and, and they can, you could try those things out from that perspective. So, um, and then clearly you want to have some metrics. Um, you want to have some timelines to determine how successful that relationship is is working. Mm-hmm. So, if, if I hired you as an executive coach, would we quantify those goals, or you know, how clear do we need to be so that we know kind of when did we accomplish it? Or yeah, and again, some of the some of the goals could be so, somewhat fuzzy. When this, I think the example I gave you earlier, where someone says, "Well, this person's somewhat abrasive," okay, so what do you mean by that? Well, they're abrasive, and they have people that are you know unhappy. They may you may may have some turnover as a real. No one can work with for her. So okay, so what can we use as a measurement? So if we work with her, or if I work with her, now it's a question of how much time are we going to to give where she improves, do we, do, we, do we look at retention? Do we do some form of assessment where people saying, what should she stop doing, start doing, et cetera, et cetera. That can, be, that can show you that you're making progress and how much more time do you need in order for that to, uh, to happen. So. Oh, that's great. So for those that wanna hire an executive coach, maybe they wanna hire you, um, can you kind of tell them how do they get hold of you? How do they find you? So, um, so I'm on link. I'm on LinkedIn, and that's probably the best way to uh, uh, contact me is through is, is through my LinkedIn profile. And then the next steps would be to have a, a chat, a Zoom chat, or a phone chat, and talk about what your needs are, and then what what I can actually bring to the table and offer you from the standpoint of value. It's great, Tom. Thanks for being here. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Value Exchange Podcast. I look forward to seeing you in upcoming episodes.